0: Good morning everyone. Good morning. So good to be here. Um, so it is always like nerve-wracking, right, to to think about that you have to speak about the Word of God. And my, my setting has always been comfortable in the classroom. Uh, I am an educator. I'm a teacher in New York City public schools. And, um, you know, so with the kids, it's the kids. I love being with the kids. So I hope you don't find this condescending in any way. But May you be my kids for just the time that we have. Yes? All right. So don't mind the quirkiness or whatever may happen. I believe that God has really given me this opportunity to share this word, and it's a great responsibility. But first and foremost, I want to thank Pastor, because I do believe that you don't give this platform, this altar, to just anyone. No, you, don't. you know, um, there's something that God has to impress because you're leading, you're shepherding a flock. And you're responsible for whoever steps up there and says whatever they think in their right mind to say and not the word of God. So I take great responsibility and honor, and I want to honor you before our congregation, everyone watching. Thank you for this honor. I'm really, really grateful. And another thing that I like to do every time I preach or every time I go to different places is to honor the lady of the house. And then so for me, because Betsy and I have worked through many years, we were raised in the church, and we worked along many, many pastors We understand the challenges that sometimes we always focus on the pastor, but we don't focus on the challenges that a wife may have just being that. So Lisa, I just want to honor you this morning. I tell you that the Lord is with you that your prayers are heard, that you are always standing on faith and that your strength comes from God to be his strength. So I honor you this morning and I thank you for your leadership and for who you are as a person. Amen. 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 So I've never, um, never been Betsy and I would always say like, wow, the, the love that you guys have shown us is great. Um, yeah. You know, particularly Betsy joining the, the the group that she meets every Thursday. She is very passionate. She is, you know, her prayers are exuberant, right? And but she's found a home, and that to me as a husband is very, very important. Being in ministry for so many years in worship ministry, um, you get tired. You get tired after a while. And sometimes you become institutionalized, believe it or not, being at the church for so long that you forget the reason of why you do things. And so Betty and I took a long sabbatical because we were just beat down. Got to be honest with you, ministry wears you down. And sometimes when you feel like you're just running on fumes, you have to know when to unplug. And it's okay because your priority is your family. You know, and so when I was at the, what I consider the top of the ministry, right, I was the most important guy in worship ministry. Church can't function without me. I got this. Soon later, I found out, yeah, the church belongs to Christ. And then someone else stepped in and they carried it and, and that's what it is. So um, today's message uh, comes from a place of reflection, of deep reflection, but it also comes from a moment that I had with my youngest daughter, Alina, the little one, and we were doing a Bible study at home, and we were talking about Cain and Abel, and it just kind of touched my heart because the way she expressed herself about this, and I said, Lord, and I began to just kind of do more research on it, and so today's message is going to be sin, judgment, mercy, amen? amen. If you don't mind opening your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. And we are going to take a little journey this morning, if you don't mind. Um, it's a very interesting story. One of the things that I like to do before I ever spend time in the Word and read, many of us take a lens of spiritual aspect, right? We always want to see that spiritual element. But I like to look at the practical first. Why is that important? Because a lot of it is just basic literary um, aspects components to so just reading when you read a book there 's a lot of inferencing there's a lot of references there 's a lot of cultural sometimes the Bible specifically at its early in its inception of beginning of the story right it 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 indicates that there is a problem between two brothers right and so I look at the family context and how does that apply to me? I have two other brothers, one um, I believe is thirty 31, and the other one is 35, and I'm the eldest of the three. I'm 45 years old. Um, And so having the responsibility as an older brother thrust upon you almost like a father figure is totally, totally not okay. And we'll go into that a little more. But looking at this dynamic of this story, we're going to break down a couple of things. The practical element, the practical aspect of the story, right? We're going to look at its application right? And then we're going to look at what we're responsible for. Does that make sense? Okay. So let's pick up the story in Genesis chapter four, verse one. It says, now Adam, I'm reading from the new King James, says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother, Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord, you're going to hear a twist now, right? The Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Then he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out of this day, out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance. Shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Powerful stuff, right? Hmm. There's so much to unpack in that story. So, what I would like to do this morning is just kind of look at some of the, the verses here. Where does it begin? Let's think about the family dynamic, right? Every family on this earth is perfect. We all get along, yes? Yes. Absolutely not. I think the more we fight, the more normal it feels at times, right? And as a parent many times, I don't want to say this, but sometimes you feel like if you have multiple children that you have a soft spot for one and the other or that sometimes is misinterpreted as that's mommy's favorite, that's daddy's favorite. And somehow there's a little more advocate for advocating for one particular child and another. Now, you and I who live in the 21st century, right? We always say, well, parenting doesn't come with a manual. They were the first parents ever on earth, right? No pressure. How are you going to get it right, right? <laughs> but it's very interesting to see that these two brothers growing up together, what were probably their dynamics at home? Right? One was basically a shepherd. The other one was basically a farmer. Hmm. What were their jobs like? What did they come home to? Did maybe Eve love Abel a little more? Did Cain feel a little more love from Adam? Did they each have a responsibility to bear in the home? See, the dynamics of the family is a very interesting one because it has a lot to do with who we are. Many times we project our own insecurities as men onto our children. The women sometimes tend to be the more nourishing one. We tend to be the more disciplinary one. But what happens when there is no father at home? What happens when there is no mother at home? In this particular case, they have both. Let's pick up the story. <clears throat> when Cain and Abel brought the offering to the Lord, do we automatically think that God had established some sort of protocol, a framework by which they had to? Can we, can we think of that? Is that accurate, Pastor? Is that okay to think of God perhaps had established already uh, a standard by which to bring the offering? What happens sometimes when you do things out of routine all the time? What do you think happens to us? Eventually, we lose that love, that passion, because we just do it. It's the duty that we do in it. We no longer feel. When I first started worship, the very first time I stepped onto the door, it's a I'm going to worship you. Oh, my God, this is exciting. Two years in, it's like, yeah, let's be doing that song. Yeah, let's do it. About it. We don't need to practice. We were good. We're good. We're good. You don't need to be excellent. Don't worry about it. They don't even listen to the mistakes anyway, right? Whatever happens here, somehow or another, the Holy Spirit takes it and changes it over there, <laughs> right? We become, I like to call it, conditioned into a mindset of mediocrity, right? And so when, when Cain brings his offering, it says that God respected Cain and his offering, When Cain was his offering, he did not respect Cain nor his offering. Now, the interesting thing is how does Cain respond here, right? How does Cain then respond to God calling him out? And when I think about this aspect of my application to my life, how do I respond when God calls me out on my sin? On my issues, and said, When are you gonna get your act together? Now, here's the thing when God calls Cain and says, Why are you angry? Why has your content? He was not discarding him, he was calling his attention to something. He was calling his attention to what is happening to you. And before a fall actually happens in any person, there is a pattern. Anyone who falls from grace or any, it just doesn't happen overnight. It comes through a process, a process where you no longer begin to connect with God, a process where you begin to compromise, a process where you begin to come distant and cold, up to the point that you begin to be indifferent and all of a sudden you realize how did I end up, you become bitter, you begin, you begin to become disgruntled. Everything bothers you, the way that sister looked at me. Why she looked at me like that? That hat is ugly. Oh, everything stings to you. Doesn't it? And then you wonder, God is not speaking anymore. Have you spending time with God? Are you spending time in prayer? Let me go to verse. So, verse six, it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your conscience fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. I think something happened here in this timeline. When God spoke to Cain, I think he just kind of went to the farm and sat on, right, and just kind of pondered. Just think about this. God just called you out on something. And here's the thing. He probably sat there that able. Can't stand him. Because you read the next verse, right? It's very telling that something in those two verses changed. He had time to think. He had time to ponder. He had time to sit there and contemplate. He just called me out. And what happens in life in our stories is that when we experience such pain, when we experience such suffering, we let it fester at the table with a cup of coffee. And we mold it over and over and over and over. And we justify our anger. We become bitter and resentful. How dare they? How dare he? How dare she? And we just over and over replay that video. We replay the movie, and as we replay it over and over again, our heart becomes so distant from God. Doesn't it? In, in the movie, um, Disney movie, Meet the Robertsons, right? There's a character who comes from the future to the present, Right, And he's talking to himself as a younger kid because he blames that his whole life that turned out to be a mess is because of this one kid genius right? who just ruined my day and I had a bad day and I couldn't get adopted, he says. But no, take that pain. Let it fester inside of you. Don't forgive. Let bitterness bear root in that. There is a powerful... Statement that I read one day in this book that somehow just is really making me think. And this book is, a, is an old book, is by this author named James Allen, As a Man Thinketh. If anyone has had the time to pick that book up, please read it. I think it's so powerful in his thoughts, right? It's about how the mind thinks. And in, his, in the book, it says, I'm going to try to read it as slowly as possible so you can catch this. Man is made. Or unmade by himself. In the armory of thought, he forges the weapon by which he destroys himself. Can I read it again? Man is made or unmade by himself in the armory of thought. He forges the weapon by which he destroys himself. When we dwell in the thoughts of depression, of anxiety, of worry, of discontent, we begin to live a very morose life. And therefore we feel helpless. And that is the most I think it's the definition of suffering, for someone to feel helpless. Yesterday as my wife and I, we were watching, and the girls, we went to see Esther, and there at the very end, if you've seen the play at the very end, there is such an anointing in, in, that, in that place where Esther is just pouring her song out to the Lord, but it's a, it's a hope of gratitude. It's a, it's a song of hope, and when I look back, I see arms just lifting and it's because we need to have that element of hope but the hope that we're looking for is not found in any other than Christ alone. So I want you to think about it. Many times we wake up in the morning, we're angry, we're frustrated. If the first thing you do is turn on the news, good luck, it's gonna be a great day. Do that click in the morning for the very first moment you do. Good morning, everyone. Five dead today on the subway ride, and three people were stabbed, and this person... And you're like, oh, gee, you want coffee? Yeah, I want some coffee. How do you want your eggs? Get in the car, turn on the news radio. Traffic, oh, my goodness. Every possible word you can think of, it comes out, right? And you see it in people's faces. You get to work... And negative Nancy is hanging out with you, right? See what administration just did? Look at this. They expect me to do this. What do you think, I'm a machine? Kids come to, oh, look at these kids. They're horrible. I'm telling you what I see. And it's in every workplace, by the way. And if you come with a different attitude, like when I started teaching, they were like, oh, you a newbie. You'll get over that real quick. You become institutionalized, right? And so when you begin your day, and I did this with the kids, I did this one day with the kids, I said, listen, kids, uh, I'm going to give you a challenge. You ready for a challenge? Yes, Mr. Russian, we're ready for a challenge. I want you for the next 10 days, the first thing that you think about, the first thing that you do when the first, when your eyes open and when your mind becomes awake, I want you to say, thank you. They're like, why? Why? And then as you walk to your bathroom, I want you to start saying thank you for every little single thing. Thank you for my bed. Thank you because I have something to eat. Thank you because I have a toothbrush. Thank you because I can use the bathroom. And then at the very end of it, at the end of the tell me how you feel. And I had one little girl who came up and said, what price are we getting at the end? <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting that the thinking always comes with a price, right? You got a lollipop, though. I got steak. I gotta get something, right? And then you realize it's like, yeah, there's nothing better in life than to spend and invest your time on yourself so that you can begin to break those habitual patterns that we have in life that just hold us down, okay? Now, I want to go to the really, really aspect here, right? Um, Now, when Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to him, where is your brother Abel? Doesn't this question remind you of something earlier? Doesn't it remind you of Adam? Right? Didn't God go to Adam? Adam, where are you? Right? Let's Let's look at Cain's response. The Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? I mean, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? A little sarcasm, right? 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 A little indifferent. Why is he being disrespectful to God? You remember this previous when God called his attention? That's his response to him, right? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? Is he on to something? Is he on to him? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you, a fugitive and a vagabond you shall be. Basically, what he's saying is, I know what you did. And here's my ruling, here's my judgment. You sinned, you disobeyed, here's my judgment. When God asked Adam, Where are you? and he held him, he wanted to hold him accountable, what did he say? the the girl that you created remember that was really pretty at the beginning yeah that she she was the one who right and what did eve do then she said no 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 the the, the serpent the serpent Doesn't that remind you in the 21st century that we probably should have learned at some point in our life to take responsibility? It's always easy to go and say, I am where I am in my life because of this person, this person, this person, and this person. And never own up to what's yours. It's easy to live there. It's easy to dwell there. But you live in a cell. You incarcerated yourself. You locked the door. You threw the key, and you say, "This is where I want to live," because it's easier to do that. And many people say, "Well, you know, Evan, this this stuff is hard." Yes, nobody said it was going to be easy. But the most meaningful things in life are hard, and doesn't mean that we just leave them and abandon. As a father raising two beautiful girls in this present generation where you want to push every single agenda, I have a responsibility to love my girls and to know that they're beautifully and wonderfully made in the image of God and that I don't own them. Their lives are put a stewardship of God's gift to me and to to Betsy. When you hear all these philosophical thoughts about you should be, I said, no, no movement is going to define them. And as a father, I begin to pray for their husbands. I begin to pray for their children. I begin to pray and cover them because that is my job. That is my responsibility. And the moment it gets out of my hand, God has placed wisdom next to me. Lest the six inches away lies a wise woman calling to my attention. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do that? And covers my head in prayer. Man, we're not meant to do this alone, but we must bear accountability for our doing. And it's easy to deflect that. It's easy to just say, you know what? No, I don't want this. And so Cain then begins and says, this is the difference, right? And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. My question to you is this, did he repent? Did he ask for forgiveness? Did he say, no, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I had a bad day. Like, harvest wasn't really that good and just, it is what it is. No. Not one thought. Not one, right, clue that he actually repented from that. Surely you have driven me out, of this, out this day from the face of the ground I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond. Now, here's the thing. I heard someone say one day that the idea of hell, we have in our mind of of fire and torture, is that that's one of the things that most people fear. And the person was saying that it really isn't that. It's that we knew, but we chose not to. And we're no longer in contact with God. We've been separated for eternity. It is the worst punishment that we can ever bear. The separation between God Almighty, holy, loving, and that we knew that we had a chance to actually think about what we were doing and we chose not to. That separation is what Cain is saying. So think about it. God is talking to Cain. And now he's like, I can't bear that. Give me me something, spare me. And God then shows his mercy, and he puts a mark on him. And the beautiful thing and the interesting about that mark is that it's a blessing that spares his life, but it's also a reminder of his doing, isn't it? Don't we have scars in life that eventually, the scars are there, we look at them, we remind us of something? But when you are in Christ, something beautiful happens. And I credit this to Jim Cimbala from Brooklyn Tabernacle explaining this so well. When you come to Christ, and Christ begins to do the work in you, the sting of sin, the Holy Spirit begins to remove that. And the healing process begins, the restoration. Many of us just put that sting. Deeper than it's good to hold on. And God says, no. Let it go. And so, sin, judgment, he pleads. He didn't repent. He pleads for what? For mercy. God gives him mercy. That's beautiful. I remember one day, Betsy and I, I, we were at the shopping center. I usually like to stay in the car. <laughs> I get the notifications sometimes, but you know, so good. And I remember I was, I was parked almost at the corner, and I see this homeless man coming. And across, while well, she was coming to the street, there's a woman there standing. And she sees this man, and he's going through the garbage to look for food. She sees him, and she goes, I'm going to do a good deed here. She goes to him, and goes, would you like? He makes her open it, looks at it, nah, (laughs) and keeps going through the garbage. We are no different. God says to you, here, this is my mercy. Nah, I had enough of that. I'd rather go through the garbage. Time and time again, the Holy Spirit prompts us come to prayer. Nah, I got to watch this Netflix show. This is really good. It's getting really interesting. Come pray, spend time with me. The kids, they need help with their homework. We make every excuse until it's too late and your excuses are done. Isn't that interesting? God extends mercy. Many of us reject that. As the story continues, he begins, right? And it's interesting because when you read the story, it's like, wait a minute, I thought it was only Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. I thought there was a nice little night family. And then he says, wait a minute, there are other people somewhere else. What's going on here? Hmm. Very interesting, right? How time must have passed to populate that part of the world already. But he pleads; he doesn't repent. He pleads. Can I take you to 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 Psalm? Can I take you to Psalm? How much time, Pastor? I have? I have an hour, right, Pastor? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. no, new, no, no. All right. So. Psalm 51. Do you guys know that Psalm? Do you know why that Psalm is there? Why is that Psalm there? That's the Psalm when David sinned, right? He did wrong, right? And 51 verse 1, it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your lovingkindness, According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Let's jump to verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Interesting. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. This is where I want to make a, a break here. If you know David's story... He was a hot mess, but he was a man's man. He was a warrior. There was no issue with identity with David. When he went up to Goliath, he affirmed his identity and say, who is this Philistine here? Are you kidding me? There was no identity issue in knowing who God was in his life. He goes to the giant in many trials and all the setbacks, acting like a fool sometimes. Well, to use pastor's words like a knucklehead, right? But he knew how to do something very well. And every time he messed up, he went back to God and cried and repented. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's the difference. If I heard, I tell you, when we were praying this morning, I said, Lord, are you serious? Like, right? Because if you heard the prayers this morning, it was about repentance, about mercy. It's about understanding why we are here. And in spite of how many times we do fall, God gives us access still to come to his presence and say, God, I can't do this, but I repent of my actions. Now, when I read what I'm about to read for you in a minute, it changed my outlook on how I behave as a father. Can you go quickly to to 1 Kings 11? I know we're taking a whole route today, right? I hope you guys don't mind. First Kings 11. Do you know whose story is in here? Solomon's story. Right? Before David passed, he's speaking to Solomon and he says, hey, listen, this is the key to success. Obey God, follow his rules, do what you got to do. You know, serve God Almighty, do not compromise, do not serve other gods, and all will be well with you. Got it. What does he do? He prays for wisdom. The Lord gives him wisdom. He's described as the wisest man and the richest man, right? But then at the end, he didn't finish well. He did not. The wisest man did not finish well. The very things he was forewarned, he completely disobeyed. And God called his attention many times and he yet ignored. But here's the most interesting and powerful thing about all of this. That when he says, we're going to tear down your kingdom. But I'm not going to do it because of who? Because of your father, David. First of all, I was like, what? You mean what I do here on this earth affects my children? And the generations to follow. But he said, your kingdom, the kingdom will not stand after you. I was like, oh, wow. Wow. What, what, am I, what am I leaving my children? What legacy am I leaving my children? And by legacy, please don't misunderstand, I'm not talking about the stuff, the accolades. That's, that's not legacy. That's just stuff. The legacy that I, I yearn to leave for my daughters is this, that they know that there is a God. That they know that there is a God so merciful and so full of grace and love and compassion that I hope that in spite of my shortcomings and everything that I have as a man, that I've been able to model what a godly life looks like. And there's been times when my daughter's here as a witness, and many times I sat down with her and and with Alina too, and I said, yeah, daddy's not perfect. I messed up here, I messed up there. And sometimes our children need to see us do that. Why? Because they get to see when mom and dad were in trouble, I saw them praying. When I saw that they messed up, they came and they acknowledged. Most of the time, I got to tell you the truth, your children know how messed up you are. They're just waiting for you to acknowledge it. They do. They, they watch, right? And the older they get, something happens to their mind, the older they get. it's like They begin to pick up on the nuances of, of, a, of a relationship, right? I mean, my youngest daughter, Alina, she always some. Bebe and I, Betty and I just like kiss or affection, ill, ill. But in their heart, I, I know they love that, right? What is a good touch from a father to a mother that the kids can see? A backhand isn't. A pot flying isn't. An unkind word isn't. How can you speak an unkind word to your wife and then come and try to praise God? doesn't, it doesn't, two different types of water cannot spring from the same fountain, right, I thought that was beautiful, that's a man who repents, that is a man who comes to to God and says, I messed up, I made so many mistakes, but I know who I'm going to cry out to, you don't need to turn there, but in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's son, you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar, right, he repented eventually, right, but it, it was the hard way, but he repented and he declared, he acknowledged God, what about his son? Do you think he did it? No. You remember the story when the fingers appearing on the wall, right? The writing's on the wall. You guys heard that expression, right? The writing's on the wall. That means you're doomed. You're, you're, you're done. And here's this king gets everyone involved and says, I need someone to interpret these words. I, I, I'm, what's going on here? No one can. And then the queen says, wait a minute. I remember a man who was able to interpret even your father's dreams? We gotta get him. Thank God he was still serving God, right? He didn't let his circumstances kind of shut him out, right? They call him in and he tells them, well, the king tells Daniel and says, Well, if you're able to tell me, I'm gonna just make you high place in society and rulers, and I'm going to just really, really take care of you. He said, No, 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 keep that stuff. Because the man of God does not go after the material aspects of things, particularly when, when who it belongs to. He tells them what it means. But he still doesn't repent. That very day, night, he, would, he died. And why? When you think the position that you have is greater than the king who gave it to you, it's time for you to check your heart in any aspect of life. And the problem that we have in, in our world today is that we want to be one way in private and we want to be someone else in public. You can't be two different, right? You can't, I don't think anyone should lead an organization unless you learn how to lead yourself first and lead your home. It's a great response. This is the mix-up that we have in our society. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna be fearful of men, I wanna speak to them here, I want them to like me, and I want this group to like me. And it says, what do you stand for? Make a decision. And as a great politician, I'm for everyone. I love everyone. I like you, I like you, I like you. Vote for me, don't forget, okay? Latinos for America, okay? I don't know, that's a good slogan, right? I should should maybe try it, right? But the idea is that here is a man that refused to repent. Same thing with Saul, and I know you ladies are studying Saul, right, the whole story. I, I hear it, I hear it, I hear it in my house, right? Great stuff. God does the same thing with Saul. And then eventually Saul says, wait a minute, God ain't speaking to me. I wonder why. And what does he do? He goes and consults mediums, witches, and all this, that, or the other, right? God is not talking to me anymore. He did not listen to God. Everything that God told him, he didn't do it. Let me close with this last thought here. In the book of John, every time I read John, it is one of the most impactful books because... He is raw. I find him raw. But it's the love gospel. But I want you to go to First John. And This is how I want to close this last thought here. First John 3. 3, 10 and 12. Do you ever wonder if there is a stark difference between the children of God and the children of the devil? Because... It's nice to sometimes say, yeah, yeah, we're all created in the image of God. Yeah, yeah. But some do the work of the enemy because they've opened the door to it. Look look at 1 John, chapter 3, 10 and 12. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not of God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this message you heard from the beginning, which should love one another. Do not be like Cain. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is not the, whoa, what happened here? Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were Righteous. It's here in the Word. My actions, I have to then think about what is it that I'm responsible for. Am I going to be doing the works of the evil one or am I going to do the work of God? We have a choice to make today. I really do believe that. In our present generation, the times are evil, and they always have, by the way, We always say, you know, back in my days, it was good. We didn't see this stuff. The youth, horrible today. You speak to that generation during that time? No, no, no. It was back in my day, it was good. And you keep going. we always pining for the past, right? We always, the, the, the days of old, they were good days. We didn't have all of this stuff. And somehow, and I've done a lot of reflection on this, once I hit 40, it's like I almost saw the, the, the hourglass. <laughs> and I said, gee, hmm, what do I want my life to be for the next 45 years, 50 years, whatever God allows me to live on this earth? And it shifted my thinking. It shifted completely the way I look at things. And I began to say, Lord, how, where do you want me to go? Every time pastor calls me, a text Can you do worship? Can you do this? Uh, yes, pastor. Yes. You know why? Because we're serving the body of Christ. That's right. But I don't say that to just anybody, by the way. The problem that we have many times is that we get ourselves busy in the church and we're thinking that that's serving God. No, you're just busy. Amen. And we don't know how to say no. It's better to be effective in the one thing that you're going to commit yourself to than try to do so many other things. I cannot remain stagnant, I am a servant, and I have a responsibility. So what did I do for the last almost year? I began to wake up early at five o'clock in the morning. And I began to see that that hour from five to six was too short. And then I pushed it to four o'clock in the morning. And this is my routine. I wake up, you know, work out, take a shower, get into the Word. Study my books. Pray. 5.30, make breakfast for the girls. Prepare them. When Betsy comes, her tea is ready. She's ready to go because it's important for, me to start her, for her to start her day right. As a husband, I want to serve her so when her morning begins, she's on her way. Before we step out of the house, we pray together. We bless the day. We say, God, in this morning, I'm in expectation of your blessings, your covering, your protection. No, form, no weapon form against my kids will ever prosper. Cover them with your grace and your mercy. And in spite of everything that does come throughout the day, I've understood that it's the prayer, it's the covering of the Holy Spirit that keeps me. If things are not a priority in your life... It's evident by the way that we live. And I'm calling all of us into action here. Take inventory of all the things that you have. I never enjoy the phrase of saying, you know, I never have time. We have time. We all have 24 hours. It's what we prioritize and what we say yes to. For me, what I've noticed is if I made God my priority, he will order my steps. And every morning, I was telling Lisa yesterday, every morning at 5 o'clock, I'm joining Pastor John right now at 5 in the morning. And I'm praying. And I said, Lord, whatever you're ordering our steps, let it be in your will. And let us stand in faith that whatever vision we have, or whatever vision you have brought us here for, that I will be a servant and a value to this house. Because we believe in the work that God is doing here. Let us wake up. Let us take this as with all love and respect, that God is sustaining us a plate of food of mercy. Let us not become indifferent because we think that God has abandoned us or let us down. Let's do self-reflection. And for anyone watching online, my plea is this to you, it is easy many times, yes, and I think technology has made it very convenient, right, to be behind a camera or a screen and just watch and connect, and all of that is wonderful. But I got to tell you that there is something so beautiful and amazing in being in fellowship in the body of Christ, actually being in the temple. And maybe for you this is resonating, maybe for you it's not. But I want to leave you with this one thought. Mercy came down. It was 2,000 years ago. Mercy took the form of Christ. It's a man. Was born in a major. Was born into a king who became poor. Suffered. Took our suffering. So that we may repent that we have a hope. And it's funny because as I was teaching the kids the history of Jingle Bells. I don't know if you know the song Jingle Bells. Because sometimes you can't sing all these stuff in schools. And so the story about Jingle Bells is that Jingle Bells was originally called the One Horse Open Sleigh, and it was written for the time of Thanksgiving. Through time, it evolved, right? And it was written around 1850, about 107 years, right? And throughout time, it began to evolve. As soon as Thanksgiving is over, those Jingle Bells begin to ring, but for the wrong reason. It become conditioned. I hear the bells. I got to go shopping. I got to do this. I got to put the tree. I got to put that. But I... And it's about the material aspect of the holiday. And every Christmas song that you hear on the radio, very, I think there's maybe two, maybe, maybe Sally night and all holy night that you hear actually the words Christ in. But everything is about relationships and friendships. And, no. Christ came, died for you and me so that we may have life. Mercy came down for us. I extend this invitation today to really think that during this holiday season that you'll find yourself, don't lose hope in your Savior. He waits for you patiently. Let us really ponder this moment and say, Lord, I invite you. I repent. The brokenness, The shattered dreams, I give them to you. And someone said, I think that love is the greatest virtue. I think courage is. It takes courage to love the unlovable. It takes courage to make a decision. It takes courage to want to change. My Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to share your word. I pray, Father God, that the work of the Holy Spirit begins to open our hearts to really think of how mercy came down and to reflect between the story of Cain and Abel. How are we going to respond when you call us? How are we going to behave and how are we going to act? May your Holy Spirit begin, Lord, to move and stir and to move us from where we are to where you want us. I bless this house I bless all its members and every those who are watching online and I stand in complete awe of your mercy towards us. In your name we pray. Amen.